Well, good morning. So good to be at my favorite campus. My name is Sean, and I'm the lead pastor at Syracuse campus, but we're, we're both here, so this is my favorite. This is my, my favorite. We are in the middle of a, the second week of Revelation, and what we're really focusing on is that Revelation, more than trying to figure out all these mis- mysteries and figuring out these algorithms and these mathematical equations that, that show us when Jesus is coming back or show us some, some secrets. Revelation is essentially the revelation of Jesus. It's about how great Jesus and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are. And I, uh, I watched a show. I don't know if you guys have watched some shows, but um, I, I'm a sports fan and more importantly, a basketball fan. I really love basketball, probably too much. I can't play anymore. I just watch people, and I, I live through them now. I'm like, oh, this is, this is like Yoda. This is, I'm becoming more mature. But we watched this thing called The Last Dance, which is a documentary depicting Michael Jordan's final year, but also giving a, a, his whole career, just depicting who he was and what he did. And showing just what a phenomenal athlete he was. He, he's the greatest player that I've ever seen in his prime. Now, I don't think he was the greatest player of all time. I think the greatest player of all time was a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who plays for the Lakers. Yeah, I'm sorry there's Laker fans. Uh, your pastor, G, is, is one of them, so please don't boo him. Um, uh, but, uh, and his wife, I think. Are you a Clipper fan, Paula? No, I'm, I wouldn't insult you like that. She, they're from Southern California. But we... Uh, he. he Kareem, I, I tip my hat to him as being the greatest. But Michael Jordan is the greatest one I've ever seen. 6'6", from North Carolina, played for the wrong team. Didn't go out west to California, to Northern California, and play for my Warriors. So I kind of hated him, but I always respected him and loved him. I love, I have to tell you, I still love his shoes. That, those shoes still take my breath away and my money. Um, just looking at it, they charge me money just to look at those shoes in the malls. It's like, my goodness, five bucks. So I, I run away. Real, and then I pull a hamstring, and I, I, I so anyways, it's a long story. But my kids, were, were not, they're not old enough to have watched Michael Jordan, and, and they looked at me and were telling me, man, I can't believe how good he was. I'm like, there's a reason a lot of us old guys say he's the greatest. Defensively, offensively, doing these pirouettes, doing these 360s, jumping from the foul line with his tongue out, like, uh, and smashing it unbelievable how it it just really depicted how great he was he still shouldn't charge that much for his shoes if you ask me but but when you're Michael Jordan the 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 jump man symbol of of his his legs spread out and like this still this like wow that's just that's just a great symbol that's a great symbol of me growing up in the 80s and 90s of like wow he, he he was so good and what revelation is essentially guys is it's kind of showing God's peeling back the cover of showing us how great Jesus is and I I really hope today to show you how great Jesus really is. And in, in, in chapter 5 of Revelation, we're going to see them depict about two things about Jesus that I want you to walk out of here knowing, that he is the lion and he's the lamb. So read with me. It says, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting at the thr- on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and in it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, 
The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. <clears throat> Going on. It says, the latter part of verse, verse 6, it says, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. And today we're going to look at Jesus being the lion and the lamb and what that means. Some of you might be thinking, what? What, are you ta- what is this talking about? Well, our main point that I want to look at is that Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. There we go. The symbols of power and sacrifice, these two images capture the essence of the role of Jesus in salvation history. So the first one I want to look at is Jesus being a lion. Now back in the ancient days, if you, the lion was, the, and still is today, the alpha dog of the wild kingdom. It's, it's some of you guys love the lion king, and right, you want to sing the circle of life, and you want to, it just, it just talks about like if you came face to face with a hungry lion or an agitated lion, you, and you don't have a weapon, like an, a, a, a fully automatic weapon, you are in trouble, it reminds me of an old comic strip that showed a, a, somebody coming to face-to-face with a lion and saying, oh, Lord, please help this lion to be a Christian. And the, and the, next, the next thing, it was a, a, a thing of the, the lion praying, Lord, I thank you for my dinner, and I uh, pray you bless it to my body. And so, anyways, <clears throat> but the lion, thank you for laughing. I, I, I needed that. Some of you will hit you, it'll hit you tomorrow. But, but we see here <clears throat> that that this, this imagery of a lion, you see in some royalty, some countries, you'll see a lion by, the, by their king and the royalty of, of their, their different palaces and castles. You'll see the lion symbolizes royalty. It symbolizes power, symbolizes the speed and, and, and the might of a lion. And we see glimpses of this with Jesus being the alpha dog, being the lion in his life, right? We see times where he would come into contact with the spiritual, with demons who are enemies of God, and these demons who, who attack God's church and God's people and, and, and people who don't know him, the Bible depicts that when these demons would see Jesus coming, they'd start freaking out. They'd be like, get me out of this guy's presence. Like, throw me into pigs and let me go cliff diving to die. I'd rather go and, 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 and die than be in the presence of this is God the Son, the second divine person of the triune God. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm, I'm an unclean spirit. Get me out of here. This is the Lion of Judah. This is the powerful, almighty God. Get me out of his presence. And you know what's sad, what hit me when I was preparing this sermon is that sometimes the demons know more about how great Jesus is than his people. Thank you. I'm going to tip you after this. Thank I, I, I need some help. Pray for me too, right? How sad is that if demons know more about how great our God is than we do? And, 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 and this, is, this is one of those, those times where he's the line of duty. We see other times where he heals diseases that otherwise were incurable, he, he steps on the scene, and, and one time he's in a boat, and he's with fishermen. So no, no fishermen, had, they lived on the, on, the, on the lake and on a boat. And a storm hits. It's one thing to be in a storm when you're on land that's powerful with wind and rain and everything else going on. You know what's worse? Is being on a boat in the middle of a lake, right? 
And these guys, this was not their first rodeo. These disciples were professional fishermen. Like, you know, they, they had, they'd have their own show these days, like Wicked Tuna. Instead of Wicked Tuna, it'd be like Holy Tuna, right? Because they were disciples, right? They would have their own shows. They were fishermen, right? They'd have their little radars going on and saying, yep, going to get me a, a trout or a bass, right? They, but these are professional fishermen, and a storm hits, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus is like, no, we're not. Watch this. And like a conductor of, a, of, of an orchestra, he just goes to the waves and just says, why don't you guys stop? He goes to the waves and he says, waves, it's time for you to take a timeout. Give me a timeout. I want you to be smooth. And all of a sudden, the storm stops, the waves stop, and all of a sudden, the disciples look at each other like, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? I'm not worthy to be in this guy's presence. Even It's one thing to do with disease. It's one thing to have demons go out in front of you. It's another thing for the storms, the wind, the clouds, all of nature to stop when you say stop. That's a whole nother level. That's your God. That's the God of the Bible. And see, th th this is what the Bible does. The Bible makes God, and it lets us know how great he is. It's like he's way up here. And when it talks about humanity, it's like we're way down here. And what has happened in, in, in the Western church these days is our God has gotten so small. And man and, and, and women, we've gotten so big. We've looked at all these inventions. We've looked at all this IT, all this artificial intelligence, all these all these cell phones that tell us how much we've walked in a day, tell us the, the weather for the next 10 days, tell us how we need to do more activity. Like, I'm like, I already knew that, okay? That's, that, be a smarter phone, okay? Like, help me get out of this, this, this thing. We are so impressed with all the different inventions, and God has just come down and come down and come down, and we've just hired, well, guess what happens when that happens? When we become bigger and God becomes smaller, our troubles can overwhelm us. Your troubles become bigger. And what God invites us to in Revelation chapter 5 is to know your God is so big. Can you see it? Your God is so big. He's, he's bigger than anything you'll ever know. We can't, our mind cannot comprehend how great and how powerful Jesus is. And so what God invites us to do is instead of telling him how big our troubles are, Start telling our troubles what? How big our God is. Did you hear that? Instead of telling God, God, I'm overwhelmed, God's word comes to us and goes, do you realize how big I am? Do you realize that I'm in control? Do you realize I'm the Lion of Judah? I'm the champion. I've never not been the champion. I'm God. I've never not been God. I will continue to be God until all of eternity. That's what he starts telling us. That, that, that's the invitation, Revelation 5, is that you and I worship, when you worship the Jesus of the Bible, he's big, and he is awesome, and he is glorious, and he is powerful. Do you know that, friends? Do we know that? Do we start telling ourselves that? So then it goes on to some confusing things. Of like we, we talk about God being so big He's a lion, but he's also a lamb. And that's kind of weird, isn't it? God's like a lamb. If you guys don't know about a lamb, let me tell you about a lamb. I have, my wife is from the country in Emory County. If you don't know where it's at, you just go, you go to the middle of nowhere and you take a hard left and you just keep going and then, and then you run into it. And she has some family that they, they, they have cattle and they have sheep. And it's interesting how there's a lot of eagles around Utah and 
even the eagles come and pick off the lambs from, they, they, they're so like, they're, they're so weak creatures. They're so gentle and lowly. The coyotes come after them. The wolves come after them. All these, all these things, even birds pick on these poor little sheep. They're, they're vulnerable. They're, they, they need constant protection. They need constant guidance. They're lowly creatures. And yet we see Jesus being associated with the, with the, with the lamb, the lamb who'd been slaughtered. So to, to understand some of this picture, that, that we have to go back to Exodus, which is one of the greatest stories of all time. And in Exodus, we see that the Hebrew people had been enslaved for over 400 years. And during this time, they were under the slavery of Egypt, which is one of the most powerful countries in all the, all the world. And they were not looking to let go of this slave force that was making them tons of money. Until God one day was like, hey, uh, it's time to change this. And so he raises up a man by the name of Moses, one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament. And he sends him there, and he sends nine plagues to really convince Pharaoh, who was a leader of Egypt, hey, it's time for you to let my people go, and, and, and they're going to go and worship me, and they're going to become their own nation. And Pharaoh's like, no, no, even after nine plagues. And he goes, okay. This is going to be the kill shot. This is going to be the one that finally breaks the camel's back or the pharaoh's back. I'm going to send a plague that's going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. Unless they do this one thing, and he gives his people a way out. He said, if you will kill a lamb on this certain day and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the top of your doors, posts, and on the sides, when the angel of death comes over on this night you will be passed over. Your firstborn will not be damaged, will not be hurt, will not be killed. So that night in Egypt, what a night, something died. Someone died in every house. It was either going to be the lamb or it was going to be the firstborn. Those who trusted God and said, all right, God, I'm going to trust you for what you're saying. I'm going to trust you that this lamb is going to take the place of my firstborn. And for some of them, they were a firstborn. I always have thought during that story of, man, imagine going to bed that night being the firstborn. <laughs> You're like, all right, is this my last night? Now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, I pray the Lord. I'm not going to be able to sleep, God. I'm stressed out. Right? Think about that. And think about if you weren't the firstborn. Like, oh, man, I'm so glad it's going to be my brother and not me. Anyways, that, that's my commentary. <clears throat> but so just as it was said, the angel of death came over Egypt and every house that had the blood of the lamb, that, uh, that trusted God that there was going to be a lamb that was going to take the place of the death of the firstborn, the angel of death passed over. And that's why they call it the Passover. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, so in the Old Testament it was pointing to there is going to be a sacrifice that God's going to give on behalf of himself for his people that he might forgive them and pass over their sins and make, bring them close to live in a right relationship and so, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, John was kind of the forerunner for Jesus. When he saw Jesus, one of the first times he ever saw him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of his people. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the one who was going to come and lay down his life for, for, for humanity. And uh, there's a, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So this, this verse, is this, it's one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 6 through 8. If, you, if you've never memorized a verse and you are a, a baby Christian, mem- go and spend time in these three verses. I want to unpack this with you. Paul is saying, there are some times in life where you will, you will see someone die for another good person or another person that they love. You'll see that. We see stories like that. We see stories in the armed forces, right? Where let's say there's, there's a grenade that's thrown in the, in the middle of a battalion, a middle of, of, of men and women, and if someone doesn't do something, everyone's gonna die or a lot of people are gonna die, and instead of letting other people die, one person jumps on it, takes the explosion, dies, but, and everyone else lives. He goes, sometimes you'll see this, right? You'll, you'll see this sometimes. And, and I, I have news for you. I really like you guys. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Sean really likes me. Turn, turn right now and say, Sean really likes you. If you're alone, just take a selfie and tell yourself, Snapchat yourself, hey, Sean really likes me. I really like you guys, right? Okay, go to the right church. Love the church you go to. Um, but I have news for you. If it came between you or one of my kids and my wife, and I, I really like you guys. Do you guys know that? I really like you guys. But if it came down between you and one of my kids or my wife, I, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100, a million times out of a million times, it won't even be close, I'm choosing my kids and my wife. Now, I'm not just saying that because they're, back, they're here and I want them to let me come home today. I really mean this. There's nothing more meaningful to me than my, than, than, in life than Jesus and my family because I love them so much. And you guys are my friends. But what God does takes my breath away sometimes. He says, we were not God's friends before we knew him. The Bible also says we were actually alienated. We were enemies to him. So not only did, sometimes you'll see someone give their life for someone they like, but to give your son, to give your daughter, to give your own life for people who were enemies, that's another, that, that, that's another, their own little level of love that God has for you. That when you and I were enemies, he still gave Christ to die on our behalf. That's how you and I can know that he loves us. That's why the the center focal point outside our church, inside of our church, is a cross. Why? Because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died in our place that we might be rescued from a life of selfishness, from a life of of hollow and emptiness and meaninglessness and not having any purpose. Jesus came and he is the sacrificial lamb who died in our place And this is why Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, talks about what's going to happen in heaven. He fast-forwards to heaven of what's going to happen. He says, Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." What he's saying here is that when we see Jesus for who he is, whether we've accepted him or rejected him, when we see the lion and the lamb and how great he is, just like the law of gravity brings us back down to the earth. Now, some of you are are better at avoiding gravity than I am. Like, you can jump a little higher, and that's good. I hope you feel better about yourself, right? But gravity is going to bring you back down to earth, right? There's certain laws that, that... 
And there's going to be a law of when we see God, the Son, Jesus Christ, every knee will naturally bow to his kingship and his authority, the lion and the lamb. We're going to see in heaven a lamb on the throne that was slaughtered, crucified in our place. And the Bible talks about there's rewards on this earth that we get for for letting God use us to be a blessing. And the Bible says that there's going to be a scene where even God's people with, with the crowns and the different awards that God gives us by his grace, that we're going to take those and throw them at his feet and fall down and say, God, we're only here because of you. We're only here because of you. If it wasn't for God, we would be so lost. We would be so in trouble. We, we, we have no business being here except that the line of Judah and the Lamb of God and Jesus Christ came and sought us out when we were totally lost. And that is, a, that is something that I hope you and I will, will look forward to and savor and enjoy. I want you to know how great Jesus is. There is a guy by the name, an old pastor by the name of S.M. Lockeridge. Some of you have seen this video I'm, I'm about to show. He just does it a lot better, and you'll see why when you, when you start to see this. And some of you, if you've seen it, I think you ought to see this, you and I, more often. This just gives me goosebumps. It gives me... It, it, it just helps me out so much to, to worship and to know how great Jesus is and to know how much he loves me. And um, I just want you to sit back and I want you to enjoy who Jesus is and what he offers to you. So check out this, this video. Isn't that great? Isn't Jesus great? We want you to know him. We want you to enjoy him. He is the central part of Alpine Church. He's why Alpine Churches exist, to make Jesus famous and to help people follow him and pursue him. There's a song that I've asked John to, uh, to sing that I grew up. This, this might make me, me and John look old, but um, it's one of my favorite songs growing up called Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. And I think Revelation 5 is a, is a call to look away from all the stuff going on in this world. There's so much drama, there's so much brokenness, racism, sexism, all these isms that are evil. And there's an invitation of God in Revelation to turn our eyes to Jesus and to keep our eyes on Jesus and to follow him and enjoy him. So I've asked him, just to, I just ask you to, to listen to the words and then we're gonna sing another song after that. But he's just gonna sing the chorus um, of that I really thought... Um, really hit home at what this is all about. And it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you know the song, I invite you to sing it. If you don't, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm really old. That means you're young, and that's a good thing for you. But I just want you to, to, um, to listen to this and enjoy who Jesus is.